0: Hey everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Our conversation today will bring you up to speed on a range of developments within the Beltway and beyond. Uh, joining me for the conversation, glad to welcome back Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So, Shane, great to be with you here on a Monday. Hope you had a nice weekend, uh, but looking forward to our conversation. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Dan. Great to be with you as always.
0: Absolutely. So, Shane, I know when we last spoke, this is going back maybe a couple of weeks, but we did take a few moments to preview at that time uh, the upcoming election day. I know election day has since come and gone. It did deliver some unexpected results. So, I'm curious, Shane, to hear your takeaways and what might be some implications of the outcomes to the midterm elections in 2022.
1: Yeah, no, great question, Dan, and there's a lot going on here. And sometimes I think it's important to almost uh, take a few days to digest. Um, an election because you know uh, often in the you know hours after an election is called people jump to conclusions so it's good to let it breathe a little and and try and understand what happened you know a- as you point out you know we thought the Virginia governor's race would be close and it was um, and Republican uh, Glenn Youngkin prevailed um, so Republicans are very excited about this what I think was unexpected was uh, the in other areas most notably in new jersey where sitting governor uh murphy who is a democrat did win but he barely won um and this is a state new jersey where president biden just a year ago won by 16 points so that is a major swing um in just a year's time so what democrats and republicans are both seeing is that you know republicans had a very good uh night besides those two elections you know there's uh, obviously, some down-ballot uh races that really um you saw moving towards the Republicans. So, you know, what are the lessons, the takeaways? You know, this is sometimes, you know, beauty is an eye of the beholder. Everyone learns a different lesson. And sometimes people learn the, the wrong lesson. You know, um, one narrative you're seeing being pushed by some Democrats is that, well, uh, we're being punished because we did not act. I think, you know, when we take a step back, we we look at it as, you know, Democrats really started to lose this election over the summer um, when you saw President Biden's numbers start to go down for a variety of reasons. You know, the withdrawal of Afghanistan, inflation, uh, the the, uh, southern border. So I think a host of issues are um, really starting to uh, present some headwinds for Democrats now, Keep in mind, as I mentioned, you know, this was a sea change in just a year's time. So there is plenty of time before the 2022 midterms for Democrats to turn it around. But I think right now some of these changes are going to be hard to turn around. Can they do it? Yes. Um, but right now, you know, if if this current trajectory holds, you know, you can expect Republicans to take back the House next year and possibly uh, gain control of the Senate. So, you know, Democrats um are nervous, uh, rightfully so, about this, and, you know, that may actually help them push and unite around uh, some legislative issues. Uh, But as of right now, you're going to probably see uh, retirements in the next few weeks from Democrats who are probably on the fence of whether they should run for re-election or not, and this may cause them to rethink that and decide that, you know what, uh, I feel more comfortable not running for re-election and and gives me the freedom to to um, work on issues that I really want to see get accomplished before uh, I leave office.
0: That's a very interesting point, Shane. I I did hear some comparisons drawn to Presidents Obama, Clinton, how the momentum might not have been at their favor at the moment, though they were able to turn the tide, so to speak. So uh, to your point, we have roughly a year to work with, so it will be interesting to see how developments play out and how the momentum might shift. But thank you, Shane, for recapping for us some of these Election Day highlights. Switching gears a bit, I know when we last spoke, we did spend some time talking about President Biden. Biden's overseas trip to Europe. I know he made a couple of notable stops, but can you highlight some takeaways for us, namely that COP26 conference?
1: Yeah, the first stop was in Rome, uh, which was a G20 summit. Uh, so this is, you know, uh, many of the uh, largest, most industrialized nations uh, in, in, the, in the world getting together to uh, discuss a variety of issues. But you're, you're right, you know, kind of The focus, I think, uh, for the Biden administration and many other onlookers was after the G20 summit, uh, traveling to Glasgow for the COP26 uh, climate conference, you know, and this is a big one for the Biden administration, you know, that getting back into the Paris agreement, which is this uh, agreement uh, among most industrialized nations, I think about 100 countries uh, are part of this agreement to reduce uh, greenhouse emissions. fifty-five percent by the end of this decade in twenty thirty, so it's um, uh, you'll, you saw the Biden administration, you know, re-entering the Paris Agreement and apologizing for President Trump uh, uh, getting out of the agreement. And you know, I think the, the problem with that, though, is you know, he, he, by doing so, he made it somewhat political, um, and you know, you're going to see. If a Republican does win office uh, in 2024 or 2028, they're going to be pressured to back out of the agreement again. So that, you know, back and forth sometimes is unhealthy for policy goals. Um, But, you know, and some level this was, you know, welcomed by the international community on others. You know, uh, especially with China, they they pushed back and, and mocked President Biden to an extent. Um, for this. I think, you know, President Biden is also trying to use this as a launch pad for Congress to uh, take on more of these challenges uh, to climate change uh, from uh, by passing legislation and also a launching point for him to do uh, more on uh, the climate front by executive action. So, you know, I think we're going to continue to hear about climate change from uh, the Biden administration and Democrats in Congress in the coming weeks and months.
0: So, Shane, speaking of Congress, now this is coming back stateside. I know over the past, it's been a couple of months at this point, but we've been updating our listeners, our clients on developments surrounding the legislative negotiations. i thinking in particular about infrastructure, but also being mindful of the reconciliation bill. And it's been well-documented how progressive, moderate Democrats, they, they've they been at odds over a variety of items that have been talked about, everything from Medicare to paid family leave to tax breaks. Now, I understand that we had a breakthrough on one of these legislative agenda items. So where do we stand as of today, and where do we go from here?
1: Yeah, no, uh, absolutely, there was a breakthrough. And, you know, Speaker Pelosi essentially Uh, told progressives, you know, I think partially in the wake of the elections, um, that it was time to actually move the um, bipartisan infrastructure deal. And, you know, she kind of dared them and brought it up for a vote, and it passed late Friday night. Um, And keep in mind, this legislation has already passed the Senate. So, um, you know, at this point, it's a formality for, you know, the paperwork to be done and it to be sent to President Biden's desk and him to sign it into law, which he has indicated he will do soon. Um, and, you know, this takes some wind out of the sails a little bit for progressives. But, you know, uh, they they feel comfortable enough that they voted for the bill. Not all of them. I think there were six uh, progressives that uh, opposed it. But, you know, uh, moderate Repub- uh, Democrats have signaled that, you know, it's OK. They're on board with a larger reconciliation bill. They just, you know. Need some help getting across the finish line to make sure they they're comfortable with um, the budgetary uh, projections. Uh, but then you also have some moderates in the Senate that are going to you know get more into the details. So this is moving. But you know I think one now that this uh, bipartisan infrastructure deal has been passed by the House, uh, the focus is shifting fully to this budget reconciliation bill that you noted. And Congress is not in session this week, so. Um, I think next week is where we're really watching for movement on this. You know, this week will be a week of, you know, further negotiations on some of the uh, minor details. Um, We uh, last week we saw uh, revisions to the byproduct to the budget reconciliation bill, um, including you made uh, mentioned uh, paid family leave. The current version has four weeks paid family leave, which, you know, uh, may not survive to the end of the day because, Uh, Senator Manchin has signaled some opposition. So I think this is important for the House to include it, to keep uh, progressive Democrats uh, placated and on board. So this really is evolving still. Um, I think, you know, uh, the goal for Democrats would be to get this passed into law uh, by Thanksgiving. Uh, But that's ambitious. You know, just thinking about it, that the House isn't going to pass it till next week uh, at the earliest. And then from there, There are some procedural logistics and hurdles uh, that could take a few days or even weeks in the Senate. Um, So, you know, and the Senate is where we're going to see more changes. I think when we see this bill passed by the House, we should not take what's in it as the final word. Um, You're going to see some more changes from Senator Manchin and and others. And, And also, besides them, the Senate parliamentarian may rule that certain provisions are in and out of order. Uh, and could be stripped from the bill. So uh, there is m- definitely more to come here. And obviously in a package that a- at this time is $1.75 trillion in spending with, you know, um, uh, that is offset with tax increases, there's a lot in this bill. So, you know, uh, I think what we see in the current bill uh, should be taken seriously, but it, it is not going to be Um, signed into law as currently written.
0: As we like to say, Shane, it does remain fluid. It sounds like an ambitious timeline potentially between now and Thanksgiving, a lot to get done. So I do look forward to keeping our listeners, our clients informed along the way, though great catching up with you as always. Shane, thank you for dropping by the podcast, updating us on a variety of timely topics, and we will look forward to picking back up with the conversation again soon.
1: Look forward to it, Dan. I think... uh, uh, we're definitely going to be busy as next coming week, so I look forward to catching up again.
0: Absolutely. Likewise. Thank you, Shane. And again, today we've been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, uh, please be sure to reference the latest Washington Weekly publication, which can now be located on UBS.com forward slash Washington Weekly. The Washington Weekly podcast is part of the UBS In The Now podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora.
1: As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements.